discipline, living within your means, saving, but starting now, the sooner the better. Uh, that was always something kind of really taught to me and it's definitely helped. So for some people, I know this can be very overwhelming, um, but you can start small and then grow. That time it took to get to the $1 million mark, it uh, seemed like it took forever. So many extra shifts, so much deferred happiness, maybe that you think, wow, it's going to take this much longer to get the next million. Uh, but of course, they always say the second million comes faster since we have money working for us now. <laughs> You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is Clark here with Jace, episode 223. Jace, what's going on, man? Hello, man. Doing pretty good. What are you, what's up with, what's up with you, man? I'm just looking at this market. It's crazy as of today. So this is what, uh, January 26th, so a few days here before the episode will air, but Bitcoin's dropped 50% or so. Last I checked was 49% from mid-November, so that's two months. I think the S&P's down, NASDAQ's down 25%, Dow's down. Kind of just curious if it continues. Big numbers though, right? Losing 20% of value. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a signal that you know maybe things were a little overvalued for one. Two, kind of coming out of this pandemic where where were things really, you know, valued based on, you know, all this money that's been put in the economy and where is demand? Look at some, you know, earnings a bunch amongst a bunch of different companies and stuff, year end stuff coming up here. So, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's, you know, it's probably a, a long overdue adjustment in a lot of asset classes, you know, between the markets and and everything else and also the Fed signaled potential rate increase. So, definitely something to pay attention to, but if you're a long-term investor, you obviously don't really worry too much about these kind of drops. Play the long-term game that it's a decades-long deal, and you're going to see these. And quite frankly, we've been on a quite a long bull run. I mean, we hadn't seen much of a pullback except yeah. for the first part of COVID at all. Yeah, some of these stocks, though, are still pretty high. You look at your Apples and Amazons, and I mean, they're still – Apple, last I checked, was still, even after it dropped 15%, was still up 90% from pre-COVID highs. Yep, so, yep. You know, how is that? Is it really, you know, 15% is a really much of a pullback in relation to, to the total, <laughs> to the total big picture of everything. Yep. Yep. No, that's why. Yeah. It's crazy, but it's, it's something to pay attention to for sure. And it's always interesting to see how the year starts off, you know, how markets respond and, and what's going to happen with rates and what's happening with the housing market. And there's, there's a lot of things going on, but definitely something to, to pay attention to for sure. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So last week we had uh, an awesome interview with Martine. She's an Haitian immigrant, uh, just a fabulous story overall, net worth of 1.5. She's a chiropractor and owns her own business. So talked about the struggles and resilience that she faced in life and, and, and everything that led to where she is today. So really an amazing story. So go listen to that if you haven't. That's episode 222. This week, Bryson Stacia. Bryce is a nurse anesthetist and she, and she works as a registered nurse. So net worth 1.3 million, 15% cash, 70% invested, almost a million dollars in the market and about 150K in home equity. So fun to have another husband and wife on with Bryce and Stacia. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And without any further delay, let's get right into that episode with Bryce and Stacia. Bryce and Stacia, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? I'm Bryce. I'm 31. 
I've been working as a certified registered nurse anesthetist for the past six years. My financial journey started in the early 2015, soon after I graduated uh, graduate school. I had realized how important it was to achieve financial independence because I didn't want to feel any of the stresses I felt growing up as a kid hearing my family talk about money. I want to be able to change my life, give my family some new experiences, make their life a little less stressful, and hopefully along the way build some generational wealth to pass along to uh, my future family. I am Stacia. I'm 28 years old. I'm a registered nurse in the operating room specializing in open heart surgery going on six years in Kentucky. I grew up in a middle-class family that taught me good financial habits from an early age. And since I started saving from an early age, I just want to continue building onto the solid foundation that I have. Uh, My motivation comes from the desire to give my family the life that I had and hopefully more. And I aspire to have financial security so that I can one day have the freedom to choose when or how I'm going to work and for any other opportunities that present themselves. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? As of this uh, this week, yesterday, we were sitting at uh, $1.27 million. Dang, man, young millionaires. What is the, the breakup of that? Uh, we're sitting about 15% cash between the two of us. Uh, we have... Uh, Approximately 70% uh, invested, uh, roughly $900,000. And then our personal home uh, is worth uh, about $145,000 in equity. And then we have our two cars sitting at about $27,000 combined. Is that in retirement accounts? And and if so, how is that kind of divided between those buckets? Yeah, for me, uh, I'm definitely sitting heavier and uh, taxable accounts. For one, I was just maxing my retirement accounts. I had a 401k from a previous employer. And then when I went uh, to be self-employed, started a a SEP and then eventually an individual 401k. So uh, for me, I'm sitting at approximately 600,000 in my uh, taxable account versus roughly 200,000 in my retirement accounts. And uh, that just happened because I was able to invest more than I was able to max in my retirements in just the six years or so that I've been uh, working out of grad school. Yeah, totally. So is that invested, the, the taxable account, is that invested in index funds, stocks, bonds? Um, so right out, of, right out of college, uh, for me personally, I um, didn't know much about investing. And I thought investing meant picking individual stocks and trying to pick winners, uh, outperform the market. So uh, the first year I invested uh, back probably 2015, I used Motley Fool uh, subscription and I was picking individual stocks. And I did that for about a year um, in addition to just picking some random fund in my work uh, 401k and contributing to it. Like I said, I didn't know much of what was going on at that time. Um, it was roughly year two that I started learning about indexing. And uh, that's when I started picking. Uh, S&P 500 mutual funds. Uh, some big influence for me was the white coat investor. I, when I read that book, it just opened my eyes to how infrequently amateurs or should I say professionals don't outperform the market. And so why did I think that I could do it 
on a part-time basis. So from that point on, I stopped picking individual stocks and I just invested 100% allocation into the S&P 500. I personally chose uh, Schwab as my brokerage. And so I've just been investing in SWPX, uh, SWPPX. Okay. And is that the same for your for your uh, tax-protected accounts or tax-advantaged accounts as well? Uh, yes. Uh, so I do. I did have a Roth IRA that I started back when I was an RN. It only has about $2,000 worth of value. And, but besides that, that small amount, I allocate everything. My contributions monthly into my individual 401k are all SW, PPX, Schwab's, S&P 500 index mutual fund. And then uh, I'll let Stacia kind of tell you about her allocations. I know she uh, didn't pick stocks. She's kind of along the plan as far as picking the 500 index fund as well. Yes. So following the 500, um, I do have most of my accounts set up automatic. I found that to be easier than to personally like each month put it in. Um, I do have a heavy side of cash. My risk factors on the lower end. Um, I like just to have that safety net. I do need to invest more of it, but I've always kind of sat with the higher cash safety savings. But I do have a Roth. Um, my parents actually started that for my birthday a couple years ago, um, and I've contributed to, to that. And then um, when I started really at 23, mainly investing through my company's 403B and doing the higher percent and then having them match. Um, I chose Fidelity as my brokerage. It worked best for just what I wanted to do. Um, and that just pretty much follows the S&P 500. I did accidentally buy Spider for a little bit of it, um, but the rest of it's pretty much following the S&P. Uh, FXAIX is, is a specific fund she buys into with her taxable account uh, and then now with her work account. Um, before we really were on the same page as far as what uh, indexing could do for us, um, she just had a, a, a basic target fund, 2055 uh, T. Rowe Price fund that her work offered. And so that's the uh, first few years of her contributions were dedicated to that. Awesome. Well, you guys are nice to come on here. So thanks for coming on. It's always nice to have two people. And how did you guys meet? I know you're dating now. How did you meet? Uh, we met in an operating room. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I Tell us that a- story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stacia always tells it better, so I'll let her. Uh, he's doing travel work as a nurse anesthetist, and he came into op- operating room eight um, and a close friend of mine and who he was kind of following that day just kind of did an icebreaker and we kind of met from there he did take an assignment in between his time in Louisville and didn't really talk a whole lot and then when he came back we just kind of hit it off and here we are still working in Dayton (laughs) why didn't you super up the first time Bryce well, I was in professional mode. It was my first day at work, and uh, <laughs> I was just trying to learn where operating room uh, eight was at. To be honest. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, thanks for having us on. Uh, yeah. Your show is uh, has been inspirational as far as uh, every. It seems like every person that comes on the show, you can at least identify with you know one piece of their life or their backstory or what their allocations are and. And kind of see that it is possible from almost every background uh, with persistence and patience to uh, change your life uh, with finance. And I think that's what's addicting. And I know that's what 
uh, keeps me coming back to hear the next story that may be just like mine. And so hopefully if anybody's listening out there that's in a similar situation, mm-hmm. uh, I know we're blessed from our career standpoint, but um, still a lot of people in our, in our similar shoes uh, don't see that it's possible. They think finance is overwhelming and it's meant for only uh, professional advisors to handle, but hopefully they can see that you can manage it yourself and make something big happen. Yeah. Well, well, thanks. So, well, first I'll ask this. I'll just keep going with you two. Who's driving who on the finances here? Or was one of you more interested before you met or were you both interested in it and it just kind of clicked on the finances, not in each other I'm talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think to a degree we were both interested. Um, I come from a family that it's very common to talk about. So I've kind of grown up with that. I've grown up with the ideas of saving and investing and letting time and compound interest help. And that definitely was a common point for us to talk about. I think now it's I'm more automatic person where Bryce is more kind of researching, continuing to really jump in at it. But I have to drag her along sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And how does the how does the mindset differ? Are there different strategies between you two? I know we talked about a little bit before the show how much cash to keep. How does that differ? How do you guys differ there? For me, I know that it takes some risk to make money. And so I guess I'm a little more uh, willing to take risk and keep a lower cash level. Um, That would be probably the biggest difference. I know that um, if I don't have my money working for me, then I will never get to the goal that I'm uh, hoping to achieve. And so uh, I will say that I did keep a higher amount of cash, probably similar to Stacia in my first couple years out of school uh, when I still had student loans and I was making some career changes as far as uh, taking travel work and becoming an independent contractor. But as my investment account, my taxable account grew, it kind of gave me a safety net where I felt free to take the risk and, and invest a greater portion of my income and, and slowly lower that cash value. Yeah, that's that's my take on it. So Bryce, you mentioned the you mentioned the career change. T- tell us a little bit about that. I know you mentioned you're blessed to have the income that you do, and and we'll come back to that. But you, the career change, how much did you guys graduate with, or how much student loans that did you have when you graduated? And talk a little bit about that career change and what drove that decision. Um, so for me personally, I actually graduated debt free. Uh, that was a Blessing some from my parents. I also made that decision very consciously to stay in state and actually stay in city so that I could live at home for a while. Um, I used the money from the Kentucky Keys program and then I also had some scholarships and my parents had a 529 plan set up. Um, so I got to start out pretty, I mean, completely debt free, which allowed me to really start straight off the bat for investing. Good for you. Yeah. So for me, complete opposite. Um, <laughs> I graduated CRNA school with $170,000 in loans. Uh, roughly 20000 was interest. Uh, 130000 I'm sorry, 120000 was my actual CRNA education before the interest. And then 30000 of that was my undergrad bachelor in nursing degree that I had deferred throughout school. Um, so for me, I decided to take the first six months of making nursing income in my W-2 job and uh, pay off my undergrad. So I knocked out the 30 grand in about a half a year, refinanced the uh, the remaining hundred and 
150000 or so. And then I made a plan that I was going to pay it off sooner than the 10-year period. Um, I knew at first, though, I wanted to get my cash reserves up. And I also wanted to be able to invest. So I took a little different approach than some of my colleagues who go uh, 100% deferring all their money to paying their loans. I kind of took a stair-step approach where the first half a year, I probably made the minimum payment. And then after about six months, once my cash reserves uh, was starting to get up to the amount I was comfortable with, I started adding about $500 a month more payment. I kept stair-stepping like that every six months or so. I would increase another 500 bucks until the last few months I was paying about 5,000 a month and I was able to pay off the $170,000 in a four year period. And by doing that in stair step approach, I also had, uh, I think roughly a hundred thousand dollars at that time, either invested or in cash, um, where some of my colleagues, they didn't have much as far as net worth. Uh, maybe a couple of thousand in their emergency fund. Uh, I think that's what set me apart as far as helping me my uh, net worth grow quicker is because I took advantage of uh, the chance of making money um, on my investments, deferring my income to those investments versus my interest was only four and a half percent at that time. So I felt like the chance was higher that I would make money greater than four and a half percent interest um, being put on my student loan. So Bryce, as you've gone on this journey, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal how quickly you've been able to build this up. And I know you, as you've gone on it, you've kind of started looking into the future and, and financial independence and what does that look like? What is the goal for you going forward? And, and maybe you, Stacia, as well, chime in on what you're trying to accomplish and, and you know, is it a net worth goal? Is it a passive income or a safe withdrawal rate? What's kind of the future hold? Um, for me, I just wanted to start accumulating money because I knew that I had to to accomplish the goals I wanted to uh, not have any financial stress. Early on, I, I honestly can't remember what my goals were. I just knew that I needed to save as much as I could and learn how to invest it. I've started setting goals once I started getting more educated, you know, reading the White Coat Investor. I probably set my first goal around 50000 uh, in the bank and then 100000 and two fifty. And I've always kind of predicted where I'd be uh, after that. And I definitely hit the million mark uh, a year or two before I thought. And that was of nothing special for me, just the pure chance of being investing in the, the longest bull market in uh, history. Um, I think for me, our my next goal would be two million before age 40 and then uh, hopefully five million somewhere in my early 50s and then 10 million in my early 60s. And uh, as extravagant as the 10 million sounds, it will far surpass any amount of money we need to live comfortably. Um, I think it's important to well overshoot your goal. I know there's a book out there or a program called 10X. I think Grant Cardone is the author, author of it. Um, I haven't read it, but I've just heard that summary of like overshooting your goal by 10 times. That way, if you don't hit your goal, you still you know, far surpassed anything that you wanted to achieve. Uh, besides just hitting that that random number of 10 million, I think somewhere uh, along the two to three million mark, we would hit our, our true financial independence number where we wouldn't have to work anymore. In the past, I thought that I wanted to work as much and as quick as I could to achieve that as fast as I could. So I never had to work again. 
uh, I have had a couple experiences along the way that really opened my eyes to uh, what would I do if I had nothing to do. Uh, one was a uh, four weeks I had off for a surgery. And then this pandemic, uh, it set our work back to a part-time schedule, two days a week. First, the surgery, it, it made me realize, uh, yeah, one, two weeks off is good. But if I don't have anything to do, anything productive to feel like I'm doing something uh, for society, then I'm going to be unsatisfied no matter how much money is in the bank. And in the pandemic, that, that part-time schedule, it really opened my eyes to what happiness I could get from work, working two or three days a week, and also having the freedom of the time off, not working full time to, to pursue other things, either just for pure happiness or maybe other income or another career choice, uh, just for personal uh, satisfaction. The term coast fire is something that I come across in the pandemic when I had a lot of time off to research. And I'm sure you've heard of uh, FIRE with Mr. Money Mustache, Financially Independent Retire Early. That movement clicked with me at first, uh, but as I was experiencing it, trying to work as many you know extra shifts over time as I could, I really got burnt out and uh, realized, you know, is it worth another five or 10 years of just uh, killing myself at work to work to, to have uh, all the time off or is there something else out there? And that term coast fire, meaning you reach a number in your retirement account or your taxable account, just your overall investment account, where now if you never invest in it again, but you never take anything out and you just let compound interest do its thing, then um, whatever years you've calculated uh, will achieve a certain uh, invested amount uh, that would hit your FI number, your financially independent number. And uh, I think that really that really hit home for me because it allowed me to think about potentially working part time sooner and for longer while being able to achieve longer happiness, uh, being able to get happy uh, to be happy now with the, the extra time I have instead of uh, hoping for the future that I would be happy once I hit that FI number by just working full time or extra uh, until then. And what about you, Stacia? Mine's to con- continue working for a little while. Um, I do only work through 12s, but it would be nice to cut that back a couple days and even less hours. So just having that freedom to work less if I wanted to. So I personally hadn't set any goal numbers per se, but, and also, I mean, part of that's too for me to just grow more with taking risk and investing my money and having it make more for me. I think, um, part of, at least for me, the attractiveness of, uh, of Coast Fire would allow us in the future, if we have kids, to be a more active part of their life. We'll still be able to feel uh, professional satisfaction by going to work and being productive uh, citizens, but also be able to be home with them and be part of their education more. I think that's a valuable, valuable thing that, that just being FI in general gives you. Uh, and just to add on to the Coast Fire, like for me personally, um, since we have roughly uh, 900,000 or so invested right now, I'm always plugging in numbers into financial calculators and compound interest calculators. And so the example um, for our situation there, 900,000, if I put that on a, a 10-year compounding interest at 8% and us never touching it again or never investing more money into it, that puts us right under $2 million. And uh, I think our true FI number is right around $2 million. I think we will still continue to invest along the way for sure. And that's one luxury that our income uh, in healthcare 
allows us to do. We can still work part-time, pay our bills and still invest money uh, along the way. But that's just a kind of quick example for anybody listening who hasn't heard of Coast FI or Coast Fire. Uh, just maybe a new mindset to kind of open your eyes to there are some other opportunities out there besides working yourself to death for just a few years in the fire and then not having anything else to do. Yeah, thanks for sharing. So how does now your life and the decisions moving forward uh, differ or change because of that realization? It, I mean, at one point, did you say, hey, I'm going to work till 60 and now you're not? At one point, station, were you going to take more than three shifts a week? I mean, have you started making changes because you've gained that clarity on how much money do you need, on how much money you do need? Or is that still, are those changes going to come a few years down the road? For me personally, those changes will come a few years down the road. Um, I really enjoy my job. I enjoy the work that I do. Also, we we don't have kids. So I think for me, that would be more down the road if we have kids. Um, in fact, now I've actually been a little more encouraged to pick up extra shifts when I can. But it's not at this point in my life, but it's definitely in the road, down the road. We've definitely experienced some some changes psychologically as far as hitting that that seven-figure mark, that million-dollar uh, mark. We did it back in August uh, 2020, and I'd say a week or two later, we were not millionaires. Uh, so, that, you know, with the market changing uh, so frequently. So between then and now, since things have stabilized a little more, it's been a, a, a uphill battle to stay motivated because that that time it took to get to the $1 million mark uh, seemed like it took forever. So many extra shifts, so much deferred happiness, maybe, that you think, wow, it's going to take this much longer to get the next million. Uh, but of course, they always say the second million comes faster since we have money working for us now. <laughs> yeah. So how old were you when you hit your first million? Uh, we were current ages, um, 28 for Stacia and 31 for me. And like I said, I, I, it's hard to imagine how we even got here. It seems like a blur until you put the numbers on paper. It yeah. seems like the last year or two, once our investment amount probably got over a half a million, that things really started picking up and compound interest did its thing to speed things up. Uh, but to keep going on on the changes for part-time, I think it's difficult as a high earner um, working full time, even if you hit your FI number to cut back. And even though you know that you can make it part time, pay your bills and still invest, there's a sense of uh, fulfillment and being a high earner in society. So I can kind of see those things uh, creeping up in me. Like I've always said, once I hit this number or so, I'll really start cutting back. And so I think that's going to be a challenge over the next few years, I'd say over the next one to three years, I'd like to cut back to maybe a three-fourths equivalent and then slowly work into a half-time equivalent uh, working. But I think it will be a huge adjustment, um, not necessarily for the the budget, but just mentally to to say, okay, I'm going to make less money and I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah, I think that can be tough to do. When does the spending change with the lifestyle? Has it already? Are you spending more? Right now, we definitely don't budget to a T. We, we keep a rough track. Um, we pay our, our main expenses every month with a credit card and pay it off. And, and that's kind of how I keep an idea of on our spending. We're definitely coming off our highest earning year. The last two years have been our highest earning years and starting to spend a little more 
for me personally, I've been taking flying lessons and you can imagine that's not very cheap. Um, so I think about how in the future that would change. I think that, uh, we've utilized a live and flip strategy for our current house. It's bigger than we would need. It's in a nicer neighborhood. I think, and the reason we got it's because we, uh, we like to renovate things and we've been slowly improving it and getting some uh, forced equity and that our expenses, if we needed to drop them, could easily get into a, a cheaper house, cheaper neighborhood, cheaper taxes if, uh, if we needed to. Neither of us are, are uh, very flashy as far as buying name brand things. We're both pretty frugal. We don't feel like we're missing out on things though. Um, so I think our spending's not extravagant. We're still uh, saving over 50% of our income after taxes. And I, I feel like we could drop that if something happened. If one of us got laid off, our, our spending would, would drop, but our, it wouldn't really affect our happiness because, uh, we don't do that extravagant thing. So what do you think, Stacia? I agree. We, um, for one, I'm like a bargain shopper. I'm also just a very practical person. When I went to get a new car, it was, what can I get that's reasonable, but safe? And I did not need something flashy. Like he said, we don't do name brands. I think at this point, some of our bigger expenses is just our travel, but even that we, do as frugal as you can. And uh, if we were working less, I think we would definitely eat at home more. Yes. Um, we eat out, but we still, we're still pretty frugal when we eat out. We go to places where we spend probably 40 bucks together on food most of the time. Anything more than that's a, a rare treat. Um, so I think those kind of expenses uh, would cut back, but I don't think it'd make us uh, our life's any different, probably be more satisfying spending more time together, uh, making food and not feeling stressed by making it after a long shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you continue to make money here, where does every dollar go? You're going to max out, I assume, your Roth and your retirement account still. But with such good income you guys have, I mean, what's next? Is it just plowing more into the market? Is it investing in some other real estate? Is it investing in something else? Is it a bigger home? I mean, what what's kind of your order of operations here on any money that you save or invest? For me, we've been doing uh, r- roughly one hundred and fifty to one hundred sixty thousand per year um, the last two years since we've really been on the same page and our loans have been paid off, and uh, that's been all for you know the most part all S and P five hundred index funds. I've had a rental house in the past. It was my personal residence. It, it, it didn't meet the typical criteria for rental houses, you know, the one, two percent rule. I didn't have a bad experience. It didn't really make me money. It just paid the bills. I think over the next uh, year or two, I'm going to decrease um, the amount that I'm actually putting in the market. For example, now I've been putting in that 9000 a month into my my taxable account. And I think I'm going to scale that back to uh, half of that amount. I'm still saving it, but I'm just leaving it cash in my account so that uh, I would like to pick up one rental house this year. That's a goal for 2021 is to maybe get back into the real estate market with something besides our our personal residence to see how it is, to see if I can um, have a new perspective if I buy something with a pure intention of of renting it. Um, We have some friends and here in, in our uh, our current town um, that have property management business and they manage at least 300 doors and pretty much all of their net worth is retirement. And I, I know you guys have that as you interview people. It seems like uh, some people are all, all real estate or all stock. And 
I would like to diversify a little bit, maybe maybe 20% real estate. And I think an end goal with that, if it works out with, my, with, with one house this year, to have maybe three single family homes paid off, paid off over the next 10 to 15 years, generating uh, three to 4,000 a month in income uh, just to pay our basic living expenses. Um, I think we're still working it during that time, but it would just be a nice end goal. Um, and that would probably be as much real estate as I wanted to get into. I thought potentially when I slow down working that I might utilize uh, like a flip strategy because I, I love working um, and building on ha- building my house. So that might be some things that change in the future. Crypto, uh, pretty, pretty interesting, hot topic. Uh, back in 2008, I had bought some Ethereum and it just happened to be at the top of the market and it crashed shortly, shortly after. But uh, I think crypto is probably around to stay in the future. So I, I'm thinking I'm going to start dollar cost averaging, maybe to get roughly 5% of my investment income in uh, either Bitcoin or Ethereum, the big players in the market there. And I think probably about 5% is as much as I would feel comfortable with. It seems like some of the bigger uh, bigger financial institutes are starting to recommend maybe that 5 to 10% of your portfolio range. And I know that when I try to speculate and I purchase anything, it always comes back to bite me. Uh, I'm the one shooting myself. <laughs> I'm the only one that can mess, mess this plan up. And I think I heard those exact words off a, a recent interview you guys had. So I know that if I start dollar cost averaging, I won't be as emotionally invested in it. And I won't be jealous of what some friend made in one day on crypto. And uh, just maybe stay the course of that 5% of my portfolio. Hopefully that answered. Uh, I'll probably cut back some on my equities, try to bump my real estate uh, up in rentals, see how that goes. And then just add a tiny bit of uh, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin for the dollar cost average. And let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, Wix. Take your business online with Wix the leading website creation platform that got all the tools you need to create, manage, and grow your brand. Whether you're starting an online business, got a side hustle, you can design a site to showcase your brand that'll look great on any device. There's over 200 million people already using Wix's wide range of solutions to enhance their businesses. It's a lot of web pages when you think about it. 200 million people and all those web pages. SEO tools designed to get you found on search engines, faster loading times to create outstanding user experiences, especially on those mobile devices, and payment solutions to help you boost your revenue, such that people can buy at the click of a button. Plus, enterprise-grade security built into every site. You know you're in safe hands. You can manage everything from one dashboard on desktop and mobile, so you can be anywhere at any time, in the office, at home, or on the go. Want to get started? Head over to Wix.com and create your website today. So you guys are young. I mean, Bryce, you're just over 30. Stacey, you're just under 30. Net worth of over 1.2 million. So obviously some of the younger millionaires we've had on the show. Do your friends and family know you're wealthy? Know of your know that you're millionaires? Uh, for me, I my family doesn't know specific numbers. They... Yeah, well, let's say she go here. Pretty recently, I just kind of informed my parents. My grandfather, who is 95 and a big influential person as far as money management, investing, savings. We haven't told him the exact number, but we've given hints. As far as my personal friends, I have not really discussed that. But it was, you know, talking to my parents about it was a very interesting conversation. What did they have to say? Were they surprised? 
They were surprised, I think, because they understood that we saved a lot and that we invest. But I don't think they knew to the scale of, obviously, our net worth. Um, For me personally, I haven't talked to my friends about exact numbers, but some of them understand that I definitely do more with investing. I definitely get a lot of questions of how do I know how to do this? How did I get started? So it's been kind of nice to be able to talk to some of them, um, especially some that still have student loans to kind of help guide them as far as setting up a budget, getting that paid off, getting stuff invested, started. So, and just having them realize like you don't have to be a super high earner to get started with it. Uh, as far as me, definitely my close friends uh, who also are nurse anesthetists know pretty close to exacts because we do talk uh, frequently. Uh, I think it's important because it's hard to find uh, people who can relate to the income, the, also the debt load you have out of school. And then uh, we all talk about how we invest in our strategies and you know long-term goals. Uh, for my family, uh, they know that we do well. They uh, don't know exact numbers. Yeah. Well, congrats on the success. So let's wrap it up here just with a couple of rapid fire questions and, and then we'll close it out. So how much do you guys spend a year annually? Um, I think we spend roughly 85000 and that, that includes everything, our, our mortgage and then our expenses traveling. Yeah, I think eighty five is what I've gotten um, by looking at last year's credit card statements and our different bills. Okay. And then what's been your range of annual household income since you began working, let's say, your first full-time job? For me, uh, I was RN for two years before I was a nurse anesthetist, and I was in the the 70000 range. Um, Once I become a CRNA, uh, my first year as a W-2 employee, I was roughly 175000 And this this last year was my highest earning year of 363000 the last four years or so, uh, uh, anesthesia money has been in the low 300s, and the the remainder of that 363,000 uh, was some army reserve incentive that I got by joining, and also a spec a spec house home building company that I was a partner with, and I was bought out by my partner, and so I had some profits that that showed on my income the last two years, and then uh, uh, Stacia. Her earnings have been uh, from fifty thousand to this last year, uh, sixty six thousand as as works increased. So uh, the twenty was our highest highest combined year of a uh, four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Wow, way to go! You guys are crushing it. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely surreal. We know how blessed we are, and I'm glad we've been able to still stay pretty frugal and uh, be happy with the things that we have, and um you know and and not live. It's still easy to live outside of your means, no matter what income level you have. So, yeah. Have you guys ever used a financial advisor? I come very close to using a financial advisor once when I just graduated CRNA school. Of course, all the insurance insurance people were hitting us up, people from our class to get disability life insurance. And um, at the time, I wasn't very knowledgeable about the situation, but I spent about a, a half a year going back and forth uh, with a Northwestern mutual agent, whether or not to buy overfunded whole life insurance as a tax-free investment. And then... Um, they also tried to sell me on annuities, and luckily, I stuck with my gut feeling, and I did not use them 
as any type of advisory service. Um, uh, Stacia, she has a pretty interesting scenario where about a year and a half ago, she uh, when, when I was really getting her to invest more, she um, used a family friend who was a financial advisor to do her Roth IRA. And at the same time, she split her money in Fidelity using her own judgment doing her S&P 500. And uh, it produced this. This was like a year and a half. Uh, we were able to see uh, the difference in I kind of told her that when the, the process started that uh, she felt like she wanted to go with her family friend because it just it felt good. Her family used them. But um, after a year and a half, we were able to see some pretty clear return on investment differences uh, by using uh, an, an advisor for her where um, they, she had a 5.75% load fee on her mutual funds and a, a 0.6 expense ratio. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing, guys. It's been an awesome interview. So let's just close it out here. Stacia, we'll start with you. What's the your final words of advice or what mistakes would you caution against? Or I mean, what's your advice for somebody? How were you guys able to do this so quickly? Um, so obviously, with that last statement, uh, caution of advice is to definitely do your research, look at those fees, don't go based on emotion. And as far as other advice, discipline, living within your means, saving, but starting now, the sooner the better. Uh, that was always something kind of really taught to me. And it's definitely helped personally continue to like grow by reading Kiplinger. I enjoy that magazine. So it's, I like that they break stuff down and it's in small amounts. So for some people, I know this can be very overwhelming, um, but you can start small and then grow. Yeah. For me, I would say it's all about your mindset. If you think it's impossible, you've, you've already lost the battle. Um, so just, just, uh, thinking that you can do it and listening to as many of these stories as you can to find somebody similar to your situation, maybe your same upbringing and, uh, just believing that you can do it. Uh, that's the start. Uh, once you're in that mindset, uh, getting ready for the marathon, because this is a marathon, uh, we're just in our first leg. It's not a sprint. It's really easy to get caught up in what you see on the news or, or maybe even your friend has made some big money fast in Bitcoin or the Teslas out there. But sticking to the plan, indexing, uh, getting things set up on auto draft so you don't have to think about it. Probably some of the best advice I can give and, and set goals along the way. Um, if you're looking at this marathon from the beginning, it's really easy to get discouraged uh, knowing that your goal is 30 years away, uh, maybe for retirement or whatever number you want. But setting up goals that, you know, maybe you can hit in a half a year or one year, five years. Um, I think that's the best way to keep your excitement up and to keep going. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being so open and really a fun interview. So again, everybody, that's Bryce and Stacia. Net worth together of over 1.2 million. So congrats on your success, especially at, at such a young age. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was, it was fun. Uh, such an honor. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.